Hi, welcome to the Broke Girl Society podcast. I'm Christina, and I appreciate you listening in. Uh, we are back with the Kitty Chronicles, uh, speaking with Kitty Martz, who is the executive director of the Voices of Problem Gambling Recovery in Oregon. And she's here just sharing her her wisdom and, and things that, that have helped her over the last several years in recovery from problem gambling. Um, in this episode, we're talking about money, specifically, it's titled Funny Money. Um, we're just talking about our relationship with money, whether it was before, during, or after gambling. And it's just, it's just kind of like different tools and things that she's come across that have helped her um, rebuild her relationship with money, but also, you know, helped with other people looking for ways to kind of help manage their money after problem gambling and, and things like that. So a lot of the tools and things that we talk about are just from personal experience. We're not promoting anything. Uh, it's just just things that we've come across that have been helpful uh, in some cases. So again, I appreciate you listening in and we'll just roll on to this episode. And welcome back, Kitty. How are you? I'm so well. I'm so glad to be back. Thanks, Christina. Uh, so I'm Kitty Martz. I'm a person in long-term recovery from problem gambling disorder. And I have a couple of those lead-in caveat things, if I could. I'm just here representing myself. I don't feel like I'm um, representing, sponsoring any kind of companies or any of the products we might talk about today. And most important, and I know you agree with this, we are not financial experts, right? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> like <laughs> We're just talking about our own experience. So I did want to offer a couple of tips and tricks around financial things. Um, but that said, there's also, I guess it's called trigger warnings these days. Uh, we're going to be talking about money directly. So if your listeners uh, don't want to hear us list perhaps uh, specific dollar amounts, or if talking about kind of troublesome things like debt isn't going to bless where they're at in their recovery right now, it might be a good time for them to bookmark it, think about revisiting it later to listen to this episode, maybe with a like a mentor or a trusted person in their life that's helping them with their relationship with money. Because we're going to take what's been kind of vague in our money histories and make it pretty specific. And that can be scary. That can be hard. That can be flooding. It can be hard to look at. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great point to be able to maybe bookmark it, listen to it later when either you're in a better place or with somebody who can, can help you process uh, the emotions of, of dealing with money. So I'm um, a woman who's been working actively on her gambling recovery for about nine years. And just to kind of put some context to my relationship with money, I live a simple life. I'm not in debt at this point. I have a small cushion of money in the bank. I have a job that I enjoy and pays me enough to live on if I'm careful. Um, what I have a lot of is determination in confidence in what I have to offer and that I'll probably be okay if things go upside down again. But that's one of my biggest fears is going back to that place of kind of 
darkness and desperation where the gambling got so bad and the sadness and the inability to kind of like show up for myself that I'm not going to be able to climb out of it again. Do you ever feel that way? Oh, absolutely. I'm still early in recovery and I'm still working through my um, financial situation and my debt, my financial inventory. So yeah, I feel, I feel moments of overwhelm. Um, uh, you know, and then disbelief that I allowed myself to get into this situation. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's a whole range of emotions. Yeah. And you and I, and many of us out there um, are trying to normalize talking about that, that though we might be very public in this, like, yeah, we're well, and we do things actively on a recovery every day. There's bad days, man, like where it's, scary and hard and seems kind of hopeless. And we know those will pass. So I'm glad that we all have um, folks that we're creating that relationship with of like, I'm feeling really scared today. Things are not good for me today. Let me tell you about it. And that seems to uh, take some of the pressure away. Okay. I still have a complex relationship with money. Um, And we're calling this episode Funny Money. But it's not like funny, haha. It's more like funny, strange. Um, most important caveat going into this is if any of the listeners are still actively gambling, this might be something to keep in your pocket for later. But I would say, and tell me if you agree, the one thing you got to do right now is shut her down. Like, like the gambling has got to stop. Um, go back in its cage. Like that is the thing to focus on right now. And I was trying to think of analogies for this. One that I came up with was like, um, you know, on those sort of um, endurance type shows where they have physical contests and it might be like, fill this bucket with water and walk it over here and fill this bigger bucket. It's like, we have, we have this pail that we're supposed to be filling with water And it's not just that there's like a hole in the pail if we're still gambling. It's like there's no bottom in the pail. (laughs) Like we're pouring water in and it just goes straight through out the bottom. That's a very good analogy (laughs) because that's exactly how it feels like when you're gambling. Right. Just just throwing it into the bucket and it's just, it's never, it's never going anywhere. It's a cylinder. it's, it's, It's like, and then we'll say things like, oh, well. You know, if I put like milk in my pail instead of water, it's a little thicker. So that, that'll be a solution. And it's like, eh, or I'll like tell people to help me keep an eye on my pail. I'll be like, hey, there's kind of a problem with my pail. Can every now and then you look over at it and just make sure my pail's okay. And people are going, yeah, there's, there's no base in your pail, lady. Like it's, it's not okay at all. So, um, we, uh, oh, I know. What about like, oh, I'm just going to like carry my pail with no bottom in it around on paydays and that'll be okay. If I was like, no, that's not going to work. So um, we have um, pail fail. Um, we're impaled. I don't know. I thought of all these like fun words to remind myself um, that um, it really needs fixed in that first little while to just get the gambling put away and then we can start chiseling away at some of these financial issues. Um, Have you watched any sci-fi shows, especially during the pandemic? Like, Oh yeah. I'm a huge sci-fi fan. Are you? Okay. So like Mm -hmm. those ones where like humanity has these sort of cultural shifts and 
weird things that happen with commerce and capitalism and altruism seems to be kind of the the running themes these days. Um, so I started thinking about like we are we are ready to make a sci-fi show about what happened in the last say year and a half, where we all hopped online and started. Um, getting high basically i don't know how you want to define getting high but gambling it's like we lose our families our careers our health our well-being our homes you know like something is zapping the heckity who out of our reward centers by just moving one of our fingers a millimeter like tapping a screen and um that's i mean isn't that bizarre that, that that's how we're dosing so many of us these days by just kind of moving our finger a little. Yeah. I think it's, it's um, not only bizarre, but just scary, <laughs> but it's that easy. Yeah. And, and then, I mean, that's kind of minimizing it because it's not the, just the finger movement of, of gambling online or those of us that were machine players. I was um, of tapping a button at a venue. Um, there's one really critical element to that, which is what we're talking about, is that it's driven by money. So that differentiates us, folks with problem gambling disorders, from the other addictions. Um, we're living in this culture that absolutely runs on financial transactions. So um, I'm trying to think of like the other thing that you mostly hear about these days, addiction-wise, is the opioid addiction. And I mean, rightfully so, like I think about like a half a million people have died from opioid overdose since the turn of the century. And we were told that it's like Oxycontin is non-addictive. This is safe. Don't worry about it. Kind of like we're told from gambling regulators. Um, no big whoop, you know, like let's just put it out there and some people We'll have trouble with it, but you know, not that many people, it's all good. Um, and um, so what happens if like folks get an opioid addiction and then um, go to treatment and say they're hospitalized for three weeks, a month, two months, and then you check out of the hospital and they're like, good job detoxing. Now here's a bag of opioids and um, you need to go back to your job where they're going to pay you in opioids and you also need to buy your food and pay your rent with opioids or drop your kids off the bus and give them opioids for the day. Or, I mean, like that would never happen. That when you're recovering from gambling disorder, that's exactly what our experience is like, that we're having to live in this world where money is just all around us for everything we do. And it's, it feels like a little bit of a setup that it's just so ever present, doesn't it? Yeah, very much so. Yeah. So um, I guess I just want to like poke some holes in some of our thinking. Um, you had a guest on here. I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. He was the director of Algamus. Greg Benson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. And um, he, he presented something. I, I said, I mean, I, I don't, know the exact words he used, but it was something like, we often hear people say, I can't afford to take time out of my life to go address my gambling problem. It's too expensive, something like that. And um, part of my story is that I did 
uh, go into an inpatient center, uh, Bridgeway Recovery Services here in Oregon, um, which was at no cost, it's at no cost for Oregonians. Um, and um, it's a big chunk of time to take off, um, but um, it saved my life. And I'm not saying that is the last time I ever engaged in gambling behaviors. Uh, my symptoms came and went for a little while after that. Um, but that's one of those places where like money was funny, where I was like, oh, I really need to go get a job. And uh, oh, that's that's bananas that I would keep paying rent while I'm living in this facility for a few months. I should probably go put all my stuff in storage. Like there was a lot of financial negotiations in my own mind with that. Um, but just by getting a break from the gambling, um, some people find that they can recover. And I know that online has complicated things during the pandemic, that people might have transitioned from going to casinos or brick and mortar venue play to online play. But I observed what happened here in Oregon, that several folks who were really actively gambling right up until March of 2020, and then our venues closed, stopped and stayed stopped. So getting that break, like, really helped them. And um, now they're not hemorrhaging money anymore because they've stopped gambling. So yeah, um, the DSM-5 is what defines having a problem gambling disorder. And I looked up the criteria to see how much like money was listed in there. And of the nine different categories, there's four of them that specifically use the word money. So one of them is that we need to gamble with increasing amounts of money to achieve the desired excitement. And the words that they use like in the clinical field for that is tolerance, that it just, it takes more to get the same effect, like um, chasing the dragon, so to speak. Remember your first win, we're always trying to get back to it, stuff like that, um, that were preoccupied with ways to get money to gamble. Um, and you know what that's like, don't you, with that hamster wheel? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's even part of the cycle after we lose. Um, that's another one of them is the chasing um, that of trying to figure out how to get it back. Um, so what, what I think of from these, these characteristics is that it also is testament to how resourceful and determined we used to be. Like there was no stopping us. You and I both have talked about it, that we could think of 276 ways to get money in the middle of the night, far from home. Absolutely. <laughs> right? To continue gambling. You get really creative. Right? And can we transfer, can we generalize that same creativity, that same resourcefulness and determination to repairing our finances, to creating some time and space between us and available money to gamble. Because we're pretty clever that way. Like we really developed those skills, let's use them. Um, the, the fourth one of those categories is that we rely on others to provide money for us when we get in desperate financial situations. And so that's kind of like family, psychosocial 101, for concerned others training is don't give us money. Don't consolidate our bills for us. I know that people want to help and there are times 
where that's just needed to get us in a safe place and stabilized and make it an individual case-by-case basis. Um, I don't particularly like the term bailouts. I think that's kind of condescending. It's people showing love to us the way we're asking them to, but we also need to offer them some training that that sort of feeds the beast and to be really careful in those decisions they make of giving us money. Was that part of your story at all? Oh yeah. Um, man, I checked off all four boxes. Like, yes, definitely. Especially the last one kind of hits home because my family enabled me so much, uh, because, you know, I would go and I would spend all the money I had and then go to them to borrow money to pay my bills. And even I remember right, right after I stopped gambling, I had something come up and, and I, even though I was doing good, it still takes a little bit to kind of reset and, um, catch up. Mm-hmm. And I went to my sister and I was like, okay, I've got this. Um, and I actually kind of went to her to kind of help me work, work out a plan with it. And she's like, it'd be easier if I just paid it for you and you paid me back. She said, but everything I've read says not to loan you money. Like she wanted to help so much. And she also was trying to set up her own boundaries of recovery. But that was one of the things that she had read is not to give a gambling addict money mm-hmm. in recovery. And so you know, that we just, we hashed it out and we were able to, to work out a plan. But, um, I just remember that moment specifically and, and, and before I would have been upset, you know, before I would have been like, why can't you loan me money? You know what I mean? Like when I was gambling, you know, then that monster would step in, but now in recovery, I was like, okay, well, that makes sense. Uh, can you just help me figure this out? You know, a way that like, can you, can you talk me through it kind of thing? Yeah. And that's so needed to have a trusted person that can talk us through it, that doesn't have any skin in the game, that dual role of maybe someone that's not feeling close to us because of the symptoms of our gambling, someone that that we can trust being transparent about money that is only going to be there to talk to us about it. And, And I feel very, very sad for states that don't have trained gambling counselors that do things like as soon as you show up for your appointment are like, hey, did you get your tax return? What's your checking account balance? Um, How much have you paid down on your credit card? When's payday? Those conversations have got to happen right from the get-go as we start trying to fix this. And constantly, like as normalizing it um, throughout the course of our days and our weeks in recovery. And they need to go on for quite a long time. I mean, I've been at this for almost a decade here. I don't have access to my own money. I, I need to go through a series of uh, checks and balances to get to it for a good reason. It's still my money, but I put that in place because statistically lapses happen. And if they're going to, I want them to be not catastrophic and to go away quickly and few and far between. So let's just plan for that. I also like to think about the tools, the the words that we use Um, and financial barriers is the, the thing of financial barrier, super important. Like one of the hardest to achieve, one of the most difficult to figure out and keep in place and get us to kind of be enrolled in. Um, And I wonder if the word barrier just feels kind of oogie 
kind of, no, it's like a wall or a divide or something. So I try to think of these things we're going to talk about today as tools or accounting skills I use or cool things I do for myself financially. Um, just to, to tweak them a little bit, we tend to want to have control and we've been shamed enough. So I don't like the idea of like, oh, I have this gift card that my sponsor makes me use as a financial barrier. That's just such a um, more like I'm rebuilding my financial well-being and I have choices in it. Uh, I don't use the word budget. I don't say I get an allowance. I'm not a child. I have discretionary funds that I can use for certain purposes. Um, so I'm just going to zip through, and this is like many of the episodes we're doing in the Kitty Chronicles, kind of in the spirit of like advice I would have given myself if I thought I'd listen, but we both know that it's kind of hard to hear when we're not there yet. Um, so first off, that window of being able to act on something when we're open to it is really small. So when uh, we're like, hey, maybe I will go ahead and after listening to this podcast, sign up for TrueLink and get a prepaid uh, credit card, or I will talk to this trusted individual to help me monitor my finances. Like, go ahead and do that now, uh, because um, the the goblin, the one we keep in the cage over there, the gambling will once we think of it, start trying to talk us out of it and reasons it won't work. Yeah, absolutely. There is a certain amount of like ostrich burying its head in the sand when it comes to dealing with money things. That's me. Is it? Like you could put it. Yeah, that that would be a picture of me with my head buried in the sand. Like, no, I don't want to deal with the IRS. Like, yeah, yeah, very much so. And when you do deal with it and you have a successful phone call or you make a payment, what's that like? Oh, it's been, it's not been amazing dealing with the IRS, but it's, it's a feeling like, or any, any of my, my debt or anything like that. It's just a feeling of like accomplishment. And then it makes dealing with the next thing a little bit easier and the next thing a little bit easier. And it makes the IRS not seem like such a monster. Uh, For me, that was one, that's been my biggest, my biggest hurdle and, and glad to say that I am on the other side of that hurdle. I mean, as far as like dealing with them, I still have years to deal with them, but yeah, but you know, what's expected now, like better than exactly. we know than the one that's just kind of looming behind us. Right. Yeah. Like they're not going to be around the next corner, yeah. you know? So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a sense of accomplishment. It's a sense of putting something right. That's been wrong. So yeah, it's, it's a good feeling yeah. when I, when I'm able to tackle, tackle, these things and I can't do it all at once. And there's still a few things I have yet to tackle, but um, it's getting easier. I think it's fun sometimes. And by fun, I don't know, to find fun, uh, no- noticeable and kind of uh, encouraging that when I think about IRS or debt or something versus when we actually de-ostriched and went and dealt with it, it didn't take no time, but it's probably a lot easier than we thought. Yeah. And I, I think with this addiction, we spend a lot of time building these scenarios up in our head, even when it comes to speaking and bringing in people into the addiction, we build this up in our head that it's going to be this dramatic situation. And sometimes it is unfortunately, but I would say a lot of the times it's, 
it's not, it's, it's easier to deal with than we think. Um, do you know what an abuse is for alcohol use disorder? I do not. It's, it's a pill you take. It's I think pretty low in side effects. And if you take an abuse, I think you take it like once a day, sometimes you, um, take it in front of someone just for accountability. You, you decide, um, uh, then if someone with alcohol use disorder were to drink, they become like violently uncomfortably ill and oh. it's incredibly unpleasant. Um, I always try, I have alcohol use disorder myself too. I've been sober 10 years. Yay. Uh, thank you. Yay. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I, I did take that the first couple of months just as like a safety net. And I'm always trying to think what that would look like with our finances of what, what would be the thing that keeps us, um, gives us time and space from getting to our own money of causing that catastrophe what's like the governor in the car that keeps us from going over 100 miles an hour with our finances so I encourage folks to try to to figure out what that is and explore doing that thing um, I also think um, it can be triggering to be broke all the time like we need to maybe make amends in a way that we're aware of the harm and the consequences that our gambling caused, but we don't need to do like penance every day to the point that we don't have, I don't know, proper shoes to wear. Like there still needs to be a budget for self-care and planning once a month. I don't know. I work hard in a physical job. I'm going to have a half hour professional massage or we're going to go on holiday once a year for the weekend to this reasonably priced place because that all or nothing thinking of paying back debt can be really triggering as well. Um, I wanted to mention that um, when your sister, is that right, or developed the tool, can you talk about that of what you guys are putting together? Well, we don't have it completely, completely uh, finished, but we are working on just as I work through my finances, um, at well as we work through the finances uh, together, we are building kind of a, a roadmap of that uh -huh. um, for that we will include either separate or within um, a magazine that I'm going to put out next year. But it's just kind of kind of a financial guide from a gambling addict. I am no professional, neither is she. Uh, she's just really, really good with with money and and those types of things. So I just figure it could be helpful. It's it's to kind of see how somebody dug themselves out mm -hmm. of um, gambling debt and kind of rebuilt that along with my recovery. And it's still, it's still a work in progress because I, I didn't foresee the struggle I would still have with money. Um, I never had a great relationship with money uh, before gambling. It was never, it was just a money. It wasn't anything that I thought about my future with, it wasn't anything like that. So she is very opposite of that. She's always had a strong relationship with money. And so it's just been good to work together to try and build something that can help others uh, down the road. Yeah, and it's so great that you have each other to be trusted confidants. Um, the finds like professionals, depending on where you live or people that you can just transparently let know what happens 
with your finances is so important and probably worth the investment. I don't know if that's like lawyers or accountants or getting people from legal aid, um, getting a payee. There are tons of payees out there um, as baby boomers are becoming older adults that manage finances for people on SSI or SSD. And there are those agencies that will work with folks who um, make their own money from other sources and help you manage it by paying your bills and then giving you a discretionary amount every month. Um, so there's a whole range. I just I keep stressing that having that there from the beginning of your recovery, using it as a daily tool and keeping it around through and beyond when you think you're probably set is worth considering. Um, I think it's also really important to include our families. So that's great that it's your sister of someone who's seen what we went through and how much we suffered. And um, that uh, it's, I don't know, it's not like doing a ninth step where you go and make amends and say like, this is the way I've harmed and that kind of thing. I think that's a whole different topic that if you're in GA and working steps, you work out with your sponsor. I think there's another thing we can do with our people. And when I say family, I'm, I'm thinking of like people we borrowed money from and still owe it to or, or could be involved in the future where we have a really structured, well-timed layout what happened. Um, talk about um, that uh, you're ready to disclose what was happening now and even be pretty specific of I've gone to those folks and been like, remember this day, ex-husband, when I said I went here, I actually went here and did this with this much money. Um, and it's not necessarily uh, an apology or anything so much as a, here's a sign that um, I'm struggling in the future. If it looks like this, when I did that thing, it could be that again. So you're welcome to help support me by doing this, like lay out those ground rules. Um, I put it in writing with my folks of like, here's the structure, like I'm expecting a tax return. It could come on this day. My plan is for it to go here like this. Um, so that there's always um, just that, that safety net um, in it. Um, when we think about stuff that costs money to do that, um, I would encourage folks to consider if it's a tool that's related to um, stopping gambling to look at how much we spent on gambling. Cause we used to yeah. spend heck a ton of money. Yeah, And like TrueLink is one of the tools I'm talking about here today. I think it's like, I don't know, $10 a month. And, and even that weird relationship with money I have goes $10, what do I get for that? Other credit cards are free. Why isn't it free? I mean, come on, let's treat ourselves um, to really looking at that that difference. Like there's this, there's this weird thing. Okay. Let me ask you some, some strange questions. Um, if you were gambling, did you ever think that you were going to have a big win and you would be like made for life? No, I never had that. I, ne I hear that so much, but that wasn't, I never had that. I didn't gamble for that big payday. No. Okay. I think I did, but I think it was also like, that would have never been enough. 
like, I don't know, a million dollars or something, let's say. So I think that there's this weird thing that happened money-wise with gambling that we would, um, we would pay for the gambling and then not only expect the money from the gambling back, but on top of that, a million dollars. So what's your favorite like snack food? Oh man, my favorite snack food. If I had to just go right off the top, it's going to be Oreo cookies. Double stopped. Yeah. Okay. So you, so you go to the convenience store and you're like, I'll take a pack of um, double stuffs. And they're like, great. That'll be, I don't know, $5. I don't know what they cost. Um, and you're like, thanks. Okay. So not only do I want my packet of cookies, I want my $5 back and also a million dollars. Like what kind of weird transaction is that? But that's exactly what we did with gambling. Same with like alcohol or some other kind of mood altering sort of thing. You go buy a shot of whiskey, it's $5. You know how that's going to make you feel. You have five shots, it's $25. You know how that's going to make you feel. It would never occur to you to go, hey, can I have my $25 back and also a million dollars? So there's this whole other thing we're dealing with, with the money that's kind of like on a different mental plane and it, right. It creates a lot of just unhelpful, irrational thoughts that we need people to talk to. And if that's stuff like, I don't want to pay $10 a month to have this safety net, like let's talk about that because that seems kind of unhelpful and not terribly rational. All right. Outright advice. I'm going to get right to it. Um, I suggest we stop handling money as much as possible. Example of getting out of treatment for opioids and having them on every horizontal surface you walk by. That's incredibly stimulating to have to say no, no, no. So the old expression from 12 step groups that if you hang around the barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. Well, if you, if you have exposure to money, long enough, um, it's going to find an opportunity, the perfect storm of a rough day or something and get to you. So my system is that I pretty much put every expense I have, if possible, on, on two credit cards, one for more work or philanthropic things that I, that I can send out to other people. And one that's personal, that's my groceries and gasoline and things like that. And then I pay that twice a month because that helps rebuild my credit to make two payments a month. It shows up on my credit report as two positive events. So I just kind of set it up to happen automatically. I make sure to live within my means that there's one paycheck available in my checking account at all times. If I were to relapse, wouldn't be catastrophic to lose one month's pay. It wouldn't be great, but that's what I'm going to let myself have exposure to. And then if for some reason I start getting ahead, I transfer my excess money to my financial helper person who in fact is my ex-husband who I stole over $200,000 from and has forgiven me and wants to see me lead a good life and is good with money and offered to help me by just making sure my investments are safe. By the way, if it wants, if you want to um, be a person who enjoys making smart investments, just because we have gambling disorder does not necessarily mean we have to live with all of our money in a 0.5% annual interest savings account. 
There are plenty of things out there. My money I have saved is currently earning 8.8%. And it's not necessarily FDI insured, but it's relatively safe. There are things out there, figure them out um, and have someone that has your back that can help you with that. But don't feel like you have to have this um, cross to bear of just living in poverty forever or never being able to make wise financial decisions. The problems for me come with when I have access to it and I'm moving it around a lot. And I'm talking stuff like Robinhood or any of those online day trading investing things, um, cryptocurrencies that you're looking at where they're at several times a day. Those seem like they have the potential of like flirting with disaster mm -hmm. for people with gambling disorders. They did for me. And so I took many out of them, uninstalled them, and I'm not doing them anymore um, because this was something that really messed up my life. And I don't need just a slightly different way of messing up my life again with similar symptoms. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, you can freeze your ability to have hard credit checks on the, the big three of the credit check agencies like TransUnion. You go to each one of those sites and you just opt out of being able to have hard hits against your credit. Sometimes doing this stuff is not really where we're at. Like uh, you're scared that your dog can have access and you're going to need it in the future. Or telling our family members feels embarrassing or like it's going to minimize our ability to get to our money if we want it. And it's entirely possible that motivation comes after action and we might want to consider just doing it anyway when we have the idea to do it. And I'm talking like today, like now, yeah. to hop on there and do things like truelinkfinancial.com, sign up for the card. It takes a couple weeks to get here. You populate it with some funds, maybe practice for the first month or so, just using it for lunches and coffees and gas or something to see how it works. Um, you have a trusted person be your dashboard controller. That doesn't mean they can steal your money. I do this for lots of folks. Um, I just flip a switch when they tell me to. And if they want to be able to get cash back, I flip a switch on their account that says, let them have cash back. And they get money and go to a yard sale and buy a couch. And they're like, okay, got my couch. And I'm like, okay, flip the switch back, flip it back. And then there's no cash withdrawals. Or no money after 10 p.m. or no money at casinos or liquor stores or something. Um, I find it to be a really cool tool. Um, you can also get gift cards that don't have PIN numbers and you can just get those at your local super center or grocery store. Um, they're a little more expensive for the ones that you don't have a relationship with. They're more like $7 for a card. So you probably want to buy one that's hundred or two hundred dollars keep a post-it note on it of what you spend so their gambling can't be like oh these are too confusing it's too embarrassing if I go to buy my groceries and I'm a few dollars short and have to put something back well good then have a system take a receipt and clip it with a binder clip to your card so you know how much is left on this um, you can also take your debit card from your checking account and use an old-fashioned paper hole punch and punch through the chip or the strip 
um, that they scan. And then you can't use it for cash back um, or ATM withdrawals, but you can still use the numbers for ordering things online where cashiers can put it in digitally. You'll want to make sure that you've tested that system before you do it. That was a system that folks used a couple of years ago. It's not as popular now, but it absolutely works. Um, Another thing you can do is if you have extra money, like you're saving up for a car or a vacation or something, go get a money order or a cashier's check and make sure they don't have like a 90 day expiration date to get, get the kind that don't expire and put them in a little cash box. You can get cash box at like a hardware store or super center and um, have a trusted friend set the combination, email it to themselves so they don't forget. Put your cashier's check or your money order in there, and then they can still access their money and just shoot me a text or something and be like, hey, I'm buying a car today. I need to get my cashier's checks. What's the combo to my safe? So it's not a perfect system. I mean, of course, someone could probably get a sledgehammer, pry it open. I don't know. But it creates some, some time and space between them and the money. I think those are all like really great tools and advice. And I, I see this a lot is, um, you know, single people who don't have, uh, somebody to help them with their money. I, I see this a lot where they're like, I don't have anybody to help me with my money. So it's very important to talk about these tools in different, different ways that, that somebody can get some help, um, to at least learn better managing tools when it comes to their money, um, and, and doing those prepaid cards and things like that. When they include someone else in it, it doesn't have to be this punitive, then um, uh, audited kind of thing. Think of it as having a, a war buddy to help us do battle that's pulling for us and that we're asking to help keep us safe. Like, let's really change the thought process. Um, one of the things I've heard over my many years in recovery from different addictions is being like cash register honest, which for those that don't know is basically if you purchase something and the cashier gives you the wrong change, a couple of coins, too many or something, you go, oh no, that's the wrong change. Here's those coins back. And I think we'd like to think, of course, we wouldn't want a cashier to have to dig into their own money at the end of the day when they reconcile their till, um, not just to minimize consequences, but just to be a good person, that that's one of our natural kind of values. And we were frankly in the trenches for so long with money being our um, basic drug of choice or the catalyst for it that even if that is one of our core values, we're not in the habit of being that like financially honest. And so I keep trying to think about um, the word truth. And um, for those of the folks that um, go to 12-step groups that have trouble with like the non-secular or spiritual component to it, this is kind of off topic from money, but here's a little trick for you. When you hear the word God, like in the 12 steps, if you're not clear on what like a higher power is to you, try substituting the word truth. And this works for all of like the 12 steps, like made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to truth, came to believe that truth could restore us to sanity. Um, and that's what we want, isn't it? Um, so 
that um, truth when we're dealing with money can go a long ways. And if that's something like uh, you're considering um, bankruptcy, which is well within your legal and statutory constitutional rights to file bankruptcy, um, people with gambling disorders often do, I think like five times more than people that don't have gambling disorders. And sometimes that's frankly the only way out. We are diagnosed with a mental disorder that has symptoms that are related to money that get us in debt. So if we have other physical disorders, those can be expensive. Insulin's expensive. Um, Treating all kinds of medical problems have a cost that goes with them. And in our case, there is a cost and we have these bills that are associated with it. And I'm really tired of the shame and stigma that comes with like, you know, you have to suffer um, for these bills. Well, you also have to have enough money to get by to make corrections in your life. So can we find the balance of the truth in there of what can I afford to pay in small payments in regular increments versus just, hey, I'm going to run up every credit card I have as high as possible because I know I'm going to have a bankruptcy lawyer in three months, and then I'm never going to be able to have anything again. So I might as well fill my closet and my pantry before that happens. Like, that's not truth, is it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like looking where that level of honesty can be. That can also happen with like, well, I better pay my visa bill because that's going to goof up my credit if I don't. But never mind my Uncle Frank that paid my rent five years ago. He's probably long ago given up on um, collecting that. Well, I would suggest that part of our program that would help us feel good and not looking over our shoulder all the time is to have that transparent conversation with Uncle Frank and be like, hey, I'm working on it. Um, what would be something that would help fix this? Can I send you a small amount every month? Um, for the next 20 years, if need be. Um, that's probably hard for him to see us show up at family events with our paws and claws all polished and our hair highlighted and our new car or something, when just knowing that that money wasn't ever addressed. So let's treat ourselves and them to at least addressing it. Um, so I guess I guess one of the, the final services I want to just point out that's out there are things like, and I'm not necessarily recommending this company, I have worked with them, and they do their job. Um, it's called American Consumer Credit Counseling, and you can just type in what your debts are, mostly to places like credit card companies or car loans and like established places. They don't work with everyone. They don't help reconcile like payday loans places, those can be kind of tricky. Um, Taxes is usually on its own. Student loans are usually on their own. Um, But there there are ways to consolidate things like into a signature loan with a bank. Um, Once you start rebuilding your credit, you might be like a year or so off to do that. Um, But when you work with a place like a consumer credit counseling, they will negotiate with your creditors, one, to stop calling you, which is welcome to not get that influx of calls all day, two, to reduce your interest rates. And that's not to like 
zero, but a lot of us get in those like 20, 25% interest rates that are hard to make a dent on with minimum payments and they'll get them down to five or 10%. Um, they'll stretch out the minimum payments due to one monthly payment. So if you're like, I don't know, for an example, I've known people that are like $40,000, in debt and they'll um, just be so minimum payment oriented, never making a dent that when they go to the uh, consumer credit counseling, they'll have one monthly payment of like $500 and they'll have to pay that for five or six or so years. Um, but it's a little more manageable and it gives them some hope. And that's really what we need, isn't it? To know we can get out from under this, um, start feeling good again, live within our means, have a happy life, um, just deal with it, like head on, get some supports at it. And it really does feel good. Are you feeling good about like what you've done so far in fixing your phone? Oh, yeah. Yeah, what's absolutely. Um, you know, these are things that I hid from, for years, you know, or just didn't address, or I don't know if hide is the right term, but just maybe didn't address the way that I should have or, um, things like that. So yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a huge part of my recovery to, to be able to address a lot of, a lot of the debt and, and things that I, and the, even the bad habits that I had while gambling, as far as my relationship with money and debt. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, the thing with like the just stop the hemorrhaging, just get the bottom in the in the pail for starters. These are the kind of things that you deal with like after a year of like stability, you start really chiseling away at getting a little bit better job. You gotta really carefully start adding those stressors. You don't want to go straight back to that executive position that pays well but stresses you out and makes you gamble, stuff like that. Um, and have like a long range plan. I think more than anything, when we're talking about like just being truthful with ourselves and others is like returning to our values. And I wonder if money um, being such a necessity to keep the gambling machine going um, might've just sort of contorted my values for a while there that I wasn't who I really am. So I kind of make myself live pretty simply not have too much access or money available at all and just um, keep my head down and do the hard work. And I'm finding that's really a lot more enjoyable than those. Uh, what are, what do they say in the combo book, like yachts and fine friends and furs and that kind of lifestyle. Um, that's not for me. Yeah. Yeah. I um, read something the other day that said uh, happiness is about peace and serenity, not pleasure. And when I read that, I was like, Hmm, that makes a lot of sense. It's about the, the quietness of life. You know, I think a lot of us struggle when we're gambling, you know, just trying to find that pleasure point or that, that dopamine hit or, or whatever. And we think when we stop gambling, it's boring. Life is boring now. Yeah. You know, I'll never find anything as exciting, but in recovery, I'm finding like, I'm craving the simplicity of life. Um, I don't, I don't need to chase that high. I need to, uh, I just crave, I crave serenity. I crave peace in my life. And by dealing with the financial aspect of my life, it, it is helping to bring peace to my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So, yeah. Well, thanks for having me on today, Christina. It was great talking with you about fun and money. Yeah, it's always great talking to you, Kitty. So thank you for doing the Kitty Chronicles. And I look forward to the next episode.